Oh, it's so good to be together, so good to worship together. Thank you for being with us for this service. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors at Life Changes Church, which meets across the city of Cape Town. I'm married to Candice, and we love the fact that we get to lead and be a part of this courageous community. Can I just give a shout out to this community? We put a notice out this week that actually we love the fact that we've been given recognition as essential workers. We love the fact that um, they have celebrated religious freedoms in our nation. We love the fact that our president called us to pray for our nation. What a privilege. But as we processed and understood everything and all the implications of what it would mean for our mission and our mandate as a local church to meet at this time, we felt it is best for us to not meet physically at this time. But we can meet in these ways. So we're going to keep trusting God for our mission to reach far, raise up and release wide at this time through the mediums and the vehicles that God has given us at this time. But I love the courage of our community to stand up and say, we're going to be a part of this story. Thank you for rising up. Thank you for coming out to Barber College on Monday, being with Gabe behind all his fancy books and teaching from Ephesians and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus already been given. Jump in, be a part of that. Monday night, 7.30. And then on a Wednesday night at 7.30, for just 45 minutes, we are gathering for prayer and worship. We are praying for our nation and we're also going to be lifting our prayer requests from within our community at this time. And thank you for being that people who keep responding, who keep replying, who keep getting in, who keep courage up, who keep it all focused on Jesus at this time. We love the privilege that we have of doing what we do and leading in this community at this time. But last week, my friend Mr. Rory Dyer preached an outstanding word from 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He, he, he was speaking from a man's life who was famous from falling. I mean, let's be honest, Peter, famous for falling. He was falling all the time. He fell asleep when Jesus asked him to pray at a very key time in Gethsemane. He was falling into temptation. He was falling into the water. He fell into being a liar when a little girl came to challenge him in Matthew 26 and said, aren't you one of his followers? No, that's not me. That's not me. He fell into unbelief and he fell into racism in Galatians in Acts 10. That's this guy's story until Jesus gets a hold of him. Until the Spirit of God comes upon him and into him and he starts speaking the Word of God with courage. And that same guy, a failure and a faller, gets to write one of the last three books of the Bible. What an incredible thing. You know what he says in that book and you know what he challenges? He challenges the church to stand amidst trial and challenge, to face up to the challenges, to accept that there will be un some unjust decisions in our lives and God's going to call you to still submit to authorities and He's not going to say you're going to love it, but He will be with you. This guy had a revelation of the grace of God. He put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And the, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Don't you want that legacy? My dad, my mom, my business leader, partner, was strong, firm, and steadfast through the corona days. Why? Because he had a revelation. She had a revelation of the glory and the grace of God at this time. And Rory's challenge... Well, let's get a theology, a working theology of what it means to be a people who stand, who stand amidst trial and challenge. You know, at the start of this year, we take a lot of time to pray and say, God, what is it that you are speaking to us? What is it that you are putting to us as a community? 
And I spoke about the fact that God was calling us to life and life abundant. And it's from John 10.10. We said in 2020, we're going back to 10.10. And it went like this. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come. Jesus is saying, I have come that they have life and have it to the full. Other versions have it in abundance. Oh, Mark, you got that one wrong. No, I didn't. Not even in the slightest. God still got abundant life for us in 2020. And if we'll take a hold of Him, if we'll get a revelation from His Word of His goodness, His character, and His nature, and His call to stand and heed that call at this time, we'll see His life and we'll testify. And the testimony of us, they were strong, they were firm, and they were steadfast. Can I pray for us right now? Maybe say, Mark, you look pumped, but I don't know if I'm pumped. I want to pray for you right now, wherever you're at. Why don't you close your eyes? And why don't you even put your hands out and just receive God's grace and His goodness this morning. God, I pray for those whose arms are feeling feeble. Their knees are feeling a little bit weak. Their thoughts are wavering and they're distracted. And depression might even be at the door saying, I want in to your soul, to your peace. I want in. I pray your strength. I pray your courage. I pray your character. I pray Spirit of God come upon them. And I pray Isaiah chapter 40, which speaks of the Lord who is the lasting God, the creator of it all. He never grows weak and weary. And as I pray for you now, I pray a revelation of the one who is above you and beyond you and upon you who never grows weak and weary. Maybe you weak and weary now. Draw on his grace and his goodness. Amen. Amen. Someone came to me after I preached two weeks ago. I preached about enduring hardship as discipline. And they said, Mark, was it just a coincidence? You spoke about enduring hardship as discipline on the same weekend as your 16th anniversary. No, it wasn't a mistake and it wasn't intentional by any means. It was just a coincidence. And if anyone has had to endure hardship, let me confirm that would be my wife because it's been an amazing marriage and I'm really grateful. But my wife has in, had to endure the weight of being loved so passionately, be the weight and the embarrassment of constant public affirmation and affection and never-ending love and gifts. Now, I'm just having a bit of fun. But God is still speaking to me through that word, endure hardship. Hardship being that word, padea, the education that comes from life's hard knocks and reveals God to us and fascist fashions Disciples in us. I want to speak today, and this is the title of my preach, Pure Joy. Who would love a dose of pure joy? If you want to post a dose of pure joy, say it with me, pure joy. Maybe if you're an Instagrammer, immediately an image comes to mind because that's what your world revolves around. It's images, it's a speedboat, it's, it's the couple in the speedboat traveling between the islands, eating kiwi fruit and strawberries, hair blowing in the wind, the sea is perfect, there's no corona, life is great, pure joy if you're a Facebooker. It's, well, a big story that looks great. You read the first three lines, the last three lines, and you comment, pure joy, that's amazing. Who knows if it's fake news, real news, but it's pure joy. Maybe in lockdown level three, pure joy is a haircut for some. Yes, just as simple as a haircut. Maybe it's a two-hour surf around the Gulf. I don't know. But the Bible speaks of this amazing thing called pure joy, and it's written in James chapter one, and the writer is James. He's Jesus' brother, not like his brother, cousin, or his brother, his actual brother. Amazing thing about James he didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus was on this earth preaching his gospel. 
He didn't believe he was the Messiah. He struggled. But imagine the pressure of growing up with Jesus as your brother, someone who never sinned, never lied, even as a kid. Uh, who broke the window, boys? James, it was Jesus. Mom going, mm, James, on history, probably wasn't. Uh, who blocked the toilet? Oh, it was Jesus, Mom. It was Jesus. And, and Mom's going, James, not sure it was Jesus. It's a tough crowd to grow up with. And yet, at the end of his life, he's someone who the Spirit of God has broken into, used powerfully, and he writes this short book, but he calls the church to something magnificent. It starts like this. James chapter 1. James a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. It's amazing that he calls them the 12 tribes because let's be honest, they no longer were the 12 tribes. They were just God's people, the tribes who had been scattered. They had intermarried. They had done crazy things. They had failed in so many ways. Many were killed along the way. And yet he reinforces that there were still those who there was an inheritance for, an inheritance in Jesus, in the kingdom of God. And he writes this to that People to these Jewish Christians who were the true heirs. And he says it this way. Consider it pure joy. I mean, sounds good. My brothers and sisters, you can just, they are teed up. This is going to be good. He's going to tell us how we can get pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is one of those times the Bible gets you. This is one of those times the scripture shared and no one's going hashtag blessed love, hashtag great adventure, hashtag epic, hashtag the good life. No, we want the pure joy. We just don't really want the many trials. Is that okay, Mark? Well, I didn't write the Bible. The Spirit of God inspired, led, and wrote the Bible. And he calls us to this thing. And Jesus' brother James says, actually, his readers were in trouble. They had discriminated against the poor, discriminated against the poor. They had lost control of their tongues and they'd become arrogant with their work colleagues. But first and foremost, they were facing many, many trials. So he just shoots out the gates and he says, consider it pure joy. So how... For the Christian, is he saying, consider it pure joy? Well, let's go back to our scripture two weeks ago, Hebrews 12, verse 7, and says this, enjoy hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for children are not disciplined by, for what children are not disciplined by their father? You see, how you face the trials and tribulations in your life will affect your spiritual growth. They won't just affect it. They will have a profound effect. And it's not just engaging the hardship. It's the mindset. It's the consideration you put in place that when you endure a hardship, endure it as discipline. Don't just endure it. Because you can endure it as persecution and you respond one way. You can endure it in many different ways and it will lead to many different responses. But the Bible says, endure hardship as discipline. Why? Because there's a loving Father on the other side of any hardship, any pain, any trial, and any tribulation. And yes, these corona times have been all of those things. For some, it's businesses that are still on an knife edge. For others, it's decreased salaries. For others, it's family that are not well. Others, it's anxiety around all that is going on. But I want to tell you that when we fashion our mindset, God says, I'm going to do something in your life. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be a sign and a wonder. You will grow. You will become strong. You will become mature. It says growth, you're going to become more like Jesus. 
You're going to have more sanctification in your life. You're going to have more humility and you're going to have more of God. You see, the Bible says we actually need trials and challenges in our lives in order for us to grow spiritually. We need them. They're not just optional extras. I'll have the Christian life without spiritual growth, without challenge or trial. You know what you get then? No growth. And so he challenges us. There's no e-learning course. There's no, can I do the spiritual growth formation through suffering in a week? Crash course. I can just get it over with. There's none of it. The Bible just says, and James reinforces it in James 1 verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, would love that legacy in my life. Not lacking anything. I'm not sure I'll ever get there, but James says it's possible when you face trials and you persevere and you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And you face trials as pure joy in your life because on the other side of that journey and the persevering, there will be something of a completeness in your life. See, what do trials and challenges and tribulations and troubles do in our life? Well, they shake us. They disturb complacency. Anyone had complacency disturbed in the last couple months? They disturb our love for the world because all of a sudden the promises of the world started to fail. That job that held so much promise for you, all of a sudden taken away. The dreams, the, the car that brought joy, but mm, haven't been able to drive it in two months, so paying for it wasn't so lacquer. <laughs> they make us see that we need Jesus every day, not just on Sundays. They help us discover our weaknesses because they get exposed and pressure comes and our weaknesses pop out. They help us see ourselves as we truly are without the marks that sometimes we even fool ourselves with. They humble us. They make us depend on God and learn to trust Him in a new level, levels we've never known before. Trials. If we will endure them as hardship, if we will consider them pure joy, there's a journey. A journey to be like Jesus. Three quick points about facing trials. First and foremost, we need trials to grow spiritually. I've said this, but, but there is no growth unless we face up to these trials. And Jesus says, I'm so committed to you being like my son, Jesus. I'm going to allow things to come in life. Let's speak about that. Who sends trials, Mark? Is it the devil or is it God? Well, Job chapter 1 and Michael Eaton claims it up. Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. Michael Eaton puts it this way. The devil sends trials because he hates you. That's what John 10, 10 says. But God allows them because he loves you. The devil sends trials to damage you, but God allows trials to strengthen you. Take that as a promise and say, God, what are you doing in my life? Beyond that as well, we live in a fallen world. We know that we aren't in heaven yet. And part of the challenge of that is that there's going to be trials in this fallen world. Thirdly, I want to tell you, joy is our weapon. It's a weapon we are called to pick up. And when we consider it, we pick it up and it starts changing our perspectives and we understand the world isn't falling apart. God is fashioning something in our lives. He's pulling us to be more like His sons. So I want to give you, in the next few minutes, a blueprint for facing and navigating trials. Jesus chapter 3, we see, and it says this in Matthew chapter 3. Sorry, Jesus chapter 3 is also a good book. Matthew chapter 3 is actually in the Bible. Matthew chapter 3, and a voice from heaven said, see, Jesus just been baptized. The heavens open, and a voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I 
whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What has Jesus done of his mission as man? Well, he's lived 30 years as a carpenter. You couldn't say he's done all the miracles. He's done no miracles. And yet God speaks and affirms him. You would think, yes, he's arrived. No, but what happens in the very next chapter? Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Other versions say tested or challenged. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I like that second verse. I'd also be hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. But Jesus gets led. He gets filled with the Spirit of God. He gets the presence of God. He gets the affirmation of heaven. He gets all of those amazing things. And it says he gets sent out to be tempted. Let me tell you what that word is. It is parazzo. It means the, if, to be scrutinized, to be enticed, to be disciplined, to be examined, to, to go about it in a way that you are being proved. So Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tested, to be scrutinized, to be examined, to be disciplined, but to be proven. He goes into the wilderness because he's showing us that our journey is going to be one of fully affirmed by God, fully anointed for the task, but still going to face challenge and trial. See, the enemy comes to him in a weakened state. 40 days of fasting. The enemy is going to come to you sometimes in a weakened state. The enemy comes to him when he's in discomfort. You see, in our world and in my world and in my space sometimes, comfort is an idol. And the enemy knows that. He comes to him when he's being led by the Spirit. He wasn't lost or out of God's will. He was very much in God's will. And lastly, he comes to him when he was anointed and affirmed. But I want to tell you in these corona times, this is a wilderness time for us. But God is testing. He is scrutinizing because he's wanting to prove his sons and daughters. Just three points for us today from this amazing scripture. The first one, stones to bread. In Matthew chapter 4, it reads like this. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This first challenge and trial of Jesus is very often the very first challenge and trial that comes for every son and daughter of God. It's the challenge and trial where the enemy breaks into our story after our sonship has been revealed in God and says, if you are the son of God, if you are a daughter of God, if you are. And Jesus responds, no, 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 not if you are. See, if you are and if you're doubting that, and you're doubting your sonship, and you're doubting God's goodness, and you're doubting your anointing, and you're doubting these things, and the circumstances and the trials don't allow you to fix your eyes and endure as hardship, and the circumstances and trials aren't processed through a considering pure joy. You know what you'll do? And orphans have done it for decades. You've kept trying to turn stone into bread. You kept trying to be God of your life. You kept trying to make the plans. You kept trying to orchestrate the situation. You've kept trying to manipulate the circumstances of the situation and you're going to get to the same result every time. You aren't the miracle worker. He is. You aren't the almighty God. He is. You aren't the one who's called to do those things. You are called to throw yourself before the living God and trust Him and look to Him and know that He is glorious. And Jesus responds. You see, I'm not going to bite that stone. I don't know if you've ever had a 
sandwich you've just picked up. If you've got sons like mine, you've definitely, at some stage of your parenting journey, picked up a sandwich, bitten into it, and broken a tooth because there was dirt in your sandwich and probably a little stone. Anyway, might be a hypothetical scenario for some, for me, not so much. But the reality is we all at times bite stones and we think we can turn them into bread. We take chances and we look at easy money possibilities. We make poor decisions that lead to chaos, like partnering with partners who aren't equally yoked with us when the Bible clearly says don't do that. We justify poor decisions until they become better, but they never actually become better. Why? Because they're still stones and the miracle worker hasn't touched them and turned them into bread. And we're always going after and the marketers know it's the deal that's too good to be true. And Jesus shows us and he gives us a blueprint of how to navigate trials and challenges. He says this, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. He says, guys, you think the thing I need most of the 40 days of fasting is bread? No, I live on the word of God. And the picture is this, it's a little eaglet coming and the mother flies home, the mother eagle lands and has digested the food already and regurgitates the food because she knows that that little eaglet can't actually digest it themselves. And as they get older, she digests it less. But the eaglet eats out of the mother's mouth. Our dependence on God, on His Word, and that word there is rhema word. It's not the general will of God. It's not just the everyone word for everything. It's the rhema word of God. It's the question that is too often missing in Christian conversations and decision making. And this is the question. Well, what did God say? What did the Father of heaven and earth say? Because if we aren't asking that question and getting Bible answers in His word in that question, I'm telling you, we are very much at risk of keeping trying to turn stones into bread. I've done it. I know I've done it many times in my life and you have done it too. But Jesus shows us the way to navigate trials is not to give it a go at your ability to be the miracle worker in your life. It's your ability to trust the words that come from the Father's mouth. What is your Father saying in the midst of the Corona times? What has He said? See, that word comes a storm. That word sustains. That word settles. And that word secures. Stop trying to turn stones into bread. Secondly, and my second point is this, throw yourself down. And this is how it goes in verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. It's a pretty high point with a big, great view of a great city. And it says, if you are the son of God, again, that same question. He said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Stones keep appearing. Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put your God, the Lord your God, to the test. The enemy says, If you are, throw yourself down. See, in Exodus chapter 7, God's people, 17, God's people had been taken out of slavery and set free. But they were mumbling and they were grumbling and they were doubting God's goodness and faithfulness to their lives. It goes like this in verse 7. And he called that place Manasseh, Mirabah, a place of distaste, a place of, of, where God's people had grumbled and mumbled because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord God among us or not? Is God here with us? 
Mark is God with the church. They, they can't meet in their building. They're being persecuted. No, we are not being persecuted. There's a challenge. There's a trial. Consider it pure joy. Endure it as discipline. And you will find God and you will know that He's not just in the midst of His people. He's with you. He's in you. He's leading you. Yes, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down on your knees and pray. Throw yourself down on your knees and declare His goodness. Throw yourself down upon His grace and the mercy seat of Christ. But don't throw yourself down a mountain because the Bible says you don't need to test. A faith that needs testing every time is not a faith at all. That's just a proven algorithm. God's not an algorithm. He's not a mathematician. He's not someone who needs you to prove Him. He's someone who needs you to trust Him, to love Him. So yes, the enemy said, throw yourself down. I'm saying throw yourself down too. Throw yourself down in faith before the living God and trust Him. See, frustration leads us to throwing ourselves down a mountain sometimes. Frustration leads us to bad decisions. But faith and trust, they lead us to throwing ourselves down before the living God. And lastly, and my third point, you can have all this. Well, this is what the enemy says to Jesus again. The devil took him, verse 8, to a very high mountain, even higher mountain, higher place, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Still a battle for your worship. There's still an enemy wanting your praise, wanting your affection wanting your idolatry. And he'll use many things. But he's saying, you can have all this. It's the promise I did marketing for years. It's the promise. It's the over-promise, under-deliver, the law of diminishing returns. Eat as many ice creams as you can. Eventually you will get sick. You won't enjoy them more. That's a practical man's law. But Jesus is saying, no, Satan, get away from me. See, James speaks about that in James 4 verse 10. says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I've seen so many people command the enemy out of Durban, command the enemy out of Satan, of, of Cape Town. He's still there. My job is to resist. My job is to say, away at this time. And you have the authority to do it too. How to face trials? Send the enemy away. Don't entertain him. Don't throw a tea party for him. Send him away. And Jesus says this, for it is written. You can only say that if you know what's written. I want to tell you at this time, your foundations are being exposed and mine are too. And you cannot build a house on another man's foundations, another building's foundations. You have to build your foundations in the Word of God. And if this challenge and this trial does anything, I ask and I pray, let it push you toward His Word. Written, given to us as a gift to guide us to the knowledge of God and ultimately to knowing ourselves in that. And lastly, He says actually, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. At this time, get on with your worship. Get on with your service. Oh Mark, I can't come to church and worship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about worshiping God as you work, worshiping God as you dream up solutions for this nation, worshiping God as you speak courage into people's hearts and serve, Mark, I can't come to serving teams on Sunday. I know, but you can serve the world and that's always been our agenda. So let's get on with that. 
See, the devil says this to all of us. You can have all this. And Jesus just looks back. Says, you give me all this? Wow. It's pretty cool. Wow. Wow, that island too? That speedboat? Cool. But my Father in heaven made all this. My Father in heaven, the God of heaven and earth created all of this. Why would I take all of this when I can have all of him and all of his kingdom? Don't settle. You can have all of this. Sometimes it's found in the valley. Because there's a lily in the valley called Jesus. You can have all of this. And he's fashioning and he's shaping. And I want to go back to my opening scripture. Consider it pure joy. Mark, you, te- you teased us, you tricked us when you started preaching about pure joy. I did. I'm sorry. But there is pure joy in walking with Jesus through any storm, challenge, and trial, through health, whatever those challenges are. You see, with God, it's not X plus Y equals. With God, it's God the Father plus God the Son plus Pastor God the Holy Spirit plus whatever circumstance and situation you get equals joy. If you will navigate with perspective of joy, you will find God. If you will navigate it with pure joy in your consideration that however you do the sums, this way, that way, multiplies, times, divide, it doesn't matter. You can see I've been doing some homeschooling. It doesn't matter what you put in the equation. If God is in the equation and you would consider it pure joy, there will be a fashioning of your life, a shaping of your story, and the journey might look different to how you mapped out, but the end result will look more like Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. My journey is to become like Him. And sometimes, it's not just the high moments of life that are going to fashion us and shape us our Instagram stories and our Facebook stories. It's the trials. Consider it. Pure joy every time you face trial and trouble in this life. Why? Because there will be an outcome. Because there's a father fashioning. Three things. Number one, stop trying to turn stones into bread and trust the father who provides manna from heaven in the midst of every wilderness. And you'll keep providing. And your clothes will not age like the clothes did not age of the Egyptians. And all the miracles that happened over those 40 years will happen in your life. And people will go, how did that happen? You'll say, I don't have an answer. All I've done is worship the living God. And I stopped trying to turn bread, stones into bread. Secondly, throw yourself down. Yes, throw yourself down, but not in the testing of God. Throw yourself down in complete and utter trust of the living God that He is in control of every detail. Throw yourself down in worship, in praise and in prayer at this time and allow Him to fashion a worshiper in you in these days. And lastly, you can have all this. See, the devil thought he was doing a great deal, but he's not a great deal maker. The greatest deal is done. There never will be another deal because there was a trial faced by my Savior. And Isaiah 53 describes it this way. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth. You see, he faced a trial I'll never have to face. He paid a price I'll never have to face. And you know how he faced it? With his mouth shut. trusting his father. And yes, he cried out, Father, 
Not my will, but your will be done. Why? What was he saying? He's saying, Father, I don't want to turn, turn stones into bread. I want to take the offer to throw myself down off this cross because he could have got off that cross in any second. I believe your promise. We can have all this. There was a joy set before him and the joy was you. The joy was your salvation. The joy was your abundant life. And the joy was your ability to navigate trial and trouble with confidence and knowledge that the living God is upon you, is in you, and is with you. Can you close your eyes as we pray this morning? I want to pray for those firstly who've never made a decision to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their life today. I pray right now if that's you, He is good and He is glorious and He is for you. And you have to do nothing else at this stage but just say, Jesus, I stop trying to turn stones into bread. I'm stopping trying to throw myself down and test you. I'm going to trust you that you have it all in the salvation that you promised right now. And I'm going to receive your grace and your love and your mercy right now. Pray with me if that's you. Let's all pray together and remind us of Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for life. Thank you for abundance today. Today you wash clean. Every stain, every blemish gone. Today the dead are raised to life. Today, there is an inheritance and a future and an eternal promise upon lives today. Wherever they're making this decision today, you are with them and your spirit is upon them, with them today. We give you glory, praise and honor for salvation today. Oh, so good. And I wanna end with one prayer of blessing over you as yes, we are facing trials, but I'm trying to muscle you up because there is a story for us. It's a story of God's grace and breakthrough. I pray, Spirit of God, bless His people now. Bless your people now. Be upon them. Strengthen them. And give us eyes like your word speaks to consider it pure joy when we face trials and challenge. Because you're at work and you are producing life and life abundant in us. Amen.